One of the many things we all have in common is that we all love a good story. Whether it's a book or a movie, uh, maybe a comedy series, a fiction, nonfiction, historical fiction, uh, maybe a story that happened to a friend, or maybe it's your most embarrassing moment. We all love to hear, and many of us enjoy telling stories. What we don't always realize is that each of us is actually creating a story ourselves. And we should realize that we're writing a story with our lives when someone asks you about your past, or where you're from, or how you met, or when you went to, where you went to school. Uh, what do you do? You think back to a previous chapter of your story, the story of your life. And for the past five years or so, my kids loved to, to hear us tell the, their birth stories. Uh, because my wife has a high pain tolerance, and because my kids came roughly on time a little bit early, we have some rather hectic, interesting stories about getting to the hospital. So my kids regularly ask to hear their birth stories. Those are some of their favorite stories. Uh, maybe for your family, you have some legendary stories that you enjoy hearing over and over and over, and you would ask your parents or someone else to tell them over and over again. But here's the thing. While those events were happening, no one was thinking in terms of a story to tell at some point, right? Uh, what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking about current events because this wasn't a story. It was something that was happening right then. And this sort of sets us up for what we'll discuss today, that every unusual or significant current event in our lives, once it's behind us, what do we do with it? It becomes a story we tell or a story we hope we never have to tell, a story too embarrassing or too, imp too painful to tell. Uh, most times, but not always, most times, the determining factor as to whether or not we want that story to be told is based on the decisions we made while that story was playing out. That we write the story of our lives one decision at a time. Whether it was a thoughtful response or an emotionally fueled reaction, whether it was offering to help others or ignoring the needs of others, we write the story of our lives one decision at a time. And today we're in part three of the series Better, Fewer, More, where we're focusing on how to make better decisions with fewer regrets and to be more Christ-like, hence the title of the series. And we're specifically focusing on the often overlooked connection between good questions and good decisions. That good questions really set us up for good decisions. And so we're exploring five questions that can help all of us do just that. However, it isn't enough to just sort of ask the question. We have to ask the question. We have to answer honestly and then act appropriately. And this will not only help you, but the people around you, who look to you, who depend on you, who work for you. This will help those around you as well, because we are not the only people impacted by our decisions. We are not the only people impacted by our regrets, and we are not the only people impacted by our amount of Christ-likeness. And in part one, I suggested you memorize a verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 12. It says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. That when the prudent or the wise, when they see danger, they respond appropriately. And as concise and straightforward as this verse and these questions will be, my hope is that they will help you see danger more clearly and how to respond better and, and be more Christ-like. And when you're tempted to act and, and respond quickly, when you're tempted to sort of focus on the immediate rather than the important, this verse and these questions will be a reminder to look beyond the present moment that these questions will hopefully help you to slow down and give you the perspective to see the danger. And these questions can give you perspective to sort of see the connection between the options that you are considering and the future you want, as well as maybe the future that God wants for you. And last week's question was question number one. Am I being honest with myself? Or maybe am I being honest with myself really? 
And maybe this past week you've caught yourself not being honest with yourself or deceiving yourself. Or maybe you asked the question and you were honest with yourself, even if the truth about yourself made you feel a little bad about yourself. Again, question number one, am I being honest with myself? Today is question number two, what story do I want to tell? As with most good questions, this question sort of leads to a a list of other good questions. That when this decision or this sort of season of life, when this relationship, when this business transaction is reduced to simply a story that you tell, what story do you want to tell? Do you want to be the hero or do you want to be the villain? Or maybe more accurately for most of us, do you want to help the hero or will you help the villain? Do you want to be the good example or the bad example? Which option will make this a story worth remembering as opposed to a story you hope no one ever tells and no one ever finds out about? Which option would make this a story you'll be proud to tell your children someday, maybe even your grandchildren? And the good news is that you and I, we get to decide this one decision at a time. That the story of our lives is made up by a series of decisions that we make, which have outcomes, results, and consequences. Maybe they're good or bad, desirable or undesirable, expected or unexpected. But those outcomes or results become a part of the story of our lives as well. For example, your boss asks you to lie to a client, and you choose to lie to the client. The client finds out and calls you on it, and then the boss blames you and you lose your job. Now part of your story is that you lost your job because you lied. How about this story? Your boss asks you to, your boss asks you to lie to a client, and you choose not to lie, but you still lose your job because you wouldn't do what your boss asked you to do. That's not a great story either, but that is a much better story to tell because you lost your job for a noble reason. In either story, you can't control the decisions or the opportunities that come to you, and unfortunately, you can't control the outcomes either. But what you do have control over is your part of the decision. How about this story? You meet this girl or this guy, and he or she wasn't great, just sort of convenient, and you just knew that this wasn't something you should pursue, but you did anyway. And then whatever happened, happened, and now it's a story that you hope no one ever asks you about. Or how about this story? Your friends want you to go out and party, but on exam or homework nights, you say no because you want to study and you stay back to study and you sort of keep passing the exams and and after a few years of making similar decisions, you have a degree to show for it. And decision by decision, you are writing the story of your life and so when you're making a decision, it can sort of be helpful to sort of pause, look ahead and ask, when this is nothing more than a story that I tell, what story do I want to tell? And the decision you're wrestling with right now is eventually going to be nothing more than a story you tell someday. And the challenge is that in the midst of current events, in the midst of the circumstances, we don't think of our lives in the terms of story. And to carry the analogy further, in the midst of the situation actually happening, we sort of get focused on the detail of typing or sort of writing each individual letter, forgetting that those letters contribute to the story of our lives, but not just our lives, the lives of those around us as well. And one of the reasons we don't think about our story when we're making decisions is because we get distracted by the pressure and the emotions of the moment. That emotion, when it comes to decision making, is is sort of like the fog of the marine layer. It, It causes us to lose sight of what we thought was true and real. It causes us to lose sight of the bigger context of our story. And when you're forced to make a decision under pressure or under a deadline or with lots at stake, it's hard to think about tomorrow, much less your story beyond today. And whether you feel loved or jealous, the emotions associated with making decisions always complicate the decision-making process. 
and emotions sort of focus our attention on the immediate rather than the important. And so we tend to think in terms of options rather than the story we will end up telling. And because there are no emotionally neutral environments, right, I would bet that your worst decision was fueled by something or someone with strong emotional appeal. Am I right? <laughs> Maybe it was a dating relationship, that purchase, that lease. It was so appealing that you bought it, you ate it, you dated her, you moved in with him. And if you've ever worked in retail sales, you know the worst thing you can do is let a customer leave the store or the showroom where the emotional appeal is, is so strong. Because once they walk out, that product, that deal, that opportunity begins to lose the emotional appeal and you will be far less likely to close the deal. And we've probably all experienced something like that before. And this dynamic can fit within the psychological term of focalism. That this hyper-focus on a single factor, a single piece of information, or an emotion leads us to sort of neglect everything else. And one way to sort of counteract that is to consider your story. Because when you consider your story, it places the specific decision in the broader context of our entire lives, which actually the Old Testament story of Joseph reminds us of quite well. Uh, the Old Testament story of Joseph is a great reminder of how powerful legacy can be and how important today's question can be as well. You might be familiar with Joseph's story, not Mary and Joseph, but Joseph from 1800 years before Jesus. This 17-year-old boy, the 11th of 12 sons, is really in a no-win situation with his family, at least partially beyond his control, because his father, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all the other sons because Joseph's mother was Jacob's favorite wife. So, lesson number one, don't have more than one wife. Uh, anyhow, along with this, some other things that led to Joseph's 10 other brothers being jealous of him. And as you might know, the brothers' jealousy really sort of got the best of them, so they decided to kill Joseph. But they changed their minds and decided to sell him instead to be more merciful and more profitable. And Joseph is sold to slave traders, and Jacob is told that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. And at this point, these 10 men, they're carrying a secret with them for the rest of their lives. They've added a chapter to their stories that they are embarrassed to tell or afraid to tell. Basically, we were so jealous of my younger brother that we beat him up and had him sold into slavery. Like, who wants to tell that story? And then we lied to my father and broke his heart with what we told him. And that's not a good story either, right? And Joseph ends up on the auction block in Egypt where he's purchased by an official named Potiphar. We aren't exactly sure what his decision looked like at that point, but it, it does seem that there was a decision to be made. Uh, something like, do I try to escape? Do I try to act like the other slaves, just sort of doing just enough to get by? Do I work hard with everything I am? And the thing that makes Joseph's story so relatable for many of us is that someone else tried to take control of his story. And as we'll see, his story was sort of hijacked by evil, selfish, or inconsiderate people. And so why try? Like, why care? And that becomes a temptation question when someone else moves our story in a bad direction. However, Joseph decides to serve the official Potiphar and his entire household. And eventually Potiphar notices Joseph and gives him even more responsibility until Joseph is basically in charge of Potiphar's entire household. And that's the kind of story worth telling, right? And Joseph would say, well, I was kidnapped and sold into slavery, but I kept living and working for God. And that was the story that Joseph was writing. But unfortunately, then the music changed again. And today we'll start reading in Genesis chapter 39. You can follow along the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner. 
select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Uh, Joseph comes uh, across a woman, uh, Potiphar's wife, who insists that Joseph become her lover, probably one of many. And Joseph has two options. Uh, neither would lead to a good outcome, though. And this wasn't even sort of a life or death issue. This was more like a death or death issue because Joseph was making a decision that could lead to his death either way. And at this point, he chooses the better story, even though, again, that choice might lead to his death. And Joseph is, is in sort of his late teens or early 20s when this is happening. And Joseph uses a very helpful and powerful strategy in moments like this. Joseph sort of repeats his story out loud as part of his response to this woman who is trying to cheat on her husband with Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. And this is where Joseph makes a decision about his story, but not just his story, but how his story would intersect with God's story, because none of our stories are written apart from God. And Joseph even seems to sort of point to Potiphar's wife saying, you are his wife. This is where you are making your decisions about your story, Mrs. Potiphar. <laughs> like, do you really want an affair with a slave to be a part of your story? And then Joseph steps back into sort of the broadest context of all, the 30,000 foot view, that in light of all that's happened, in light of God's mercy to me, in light of your husband's confidence in me, Joseph asked this question, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Why would I want to add adultery to my story? Why would I want to add my participation in adultery to God's story? Why would I want to do this when it impacts my relationship with God, my relationship with Potiphar, and my relationship with you? It's as if Joseph was saying, I only have two stories I could tell. Story number one, uh, Potiphar gave me a surprising opportunity, and I was faithful to him and to God who had been with me. And then story number two, Potiphar gave me a surprising opportunity, and I took advantage of his trust and had an affair with his wife and dishonored the God who was with me. Like, which story do I want to tell? Which story do you want to tell when the decision that you're in the middle of making right now is nothing more than a story that you tell? What story do you want to tell? Now, you might already know this, but Joseph chose story number one, and he did the right thing. However, the right outcome did not happen for Joseph initially. And Potiphar's wife makes false accusations against Joseph, and Joseph wrongly ends up in Pharaoh's dungeon. Now, some pastors and teachers uh, try to make this false accusation by a woman into an important subpoint of this story. However, it's likely not so much about a woman making a false accusation as it is about a person in the position of power making a false accusation or using their power to hurt a person with less power and authority. Okay, back into the story, because Joseph's story wasn't over, and your story isn't over either. And while Joseph was in prison, God and Joseph did the same things in the dungeon as they had done before. That God was with Joseph, and Joseph kept writing a good story. And over time, Joseph, with God's help, wins the favor of the prison warden. Now, I don't think anyone makes it their goal in life to be the favorite of your prison warden, but before long, Joseph is basically in charge of the prison he is in. And now several years later, now don't let that go by too quickly or think that things will change quickly, but several years later, Joseph is being ushered into an inn to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Now Pharaoh had a dream that sort of seemed to have some sort of significance for the nation of Egypt, but none of Pharaoh's magicians or staff could interpret the dream. And Joseph also tells Pharaoh that he can't interpret Pharaoh's dream, but God can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. 
which is actually a very dangerous thing to say to someone who considers himself a god. But Pharaoh was curious enough about what this god would say the meaning of his dream was, and so he let Joseph and this god interpret his dream. Now, according to Joseph, with God's help, Egypt would experience seven years of record-breaking grain harvest. And in the ancient world, bread was a staple, and so grain was very important for the main part of everyone's diet. And if there was no grain, people starve. So seven years of grain abundance was great, but that was only half the dream. Then Egypt would experience seven years of severe famine. And Joseph has done his job at this point. He sort of interpreted the dream, but Joseph doesn't stop there. Then he gives Pharaoh some unsolicited advice. Now, typically no one gave unsolicited advice to Pharaoh, especially a foreigner who just came from the dungeon. But Joseph's advice was this, Genesis 41:33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. And probably surprisingly to those in the room, verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. And so Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God. And interestingly, this is where Joseph's God, not Pharaoh himself, but Joseph's God, this is another point of Joseph's story sort of intersecting God's bigger story. And since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. That Pharaoh basically made Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. And Joseph's story sort of keeps getting better, but his story doesn't get better by itself or by himself. That Joseph made better decisions with fewer regrets. Here's not looking at you, Mrs. Potiphar. But those decisions also impacted the people around Joseph, namely the whole nation of Egypt and some of the surrounding nations as we'll see. But also Joseph's story was written with God's help. And as Joseph had predicted seven years later, a famine devastates that region of the world. And Joseph's decisions to save during the unprecedented surplus helps feed the nation and the people from neighboring parts of the world, including, including Joseph's brothers who were starving in a neighboring land. And when Joseph's brothers arrived to Egypt, Joseph recognized them immediately, but they didn't recognize their 30-year-old brother who they hadn't seen since he was a teenager. Now, if you haven't read this story from Genesis, you should because there are so many fascinating details that we can't explore right now. But eventually, Joseph reveals his identity to his 10 older brothers, and they begin begging for mercy that they know they don't deserve and they probably wouldn't receive. But Joseph's story was different from those brothers' stories. He didn't become bitter. He, he didn't give up. Uh, none of us really would have blamed Joseph if he did at any point. But Joseph decided to write a better story, and God wrote a better story through Joseph. And one of the things that we can't fully understand now, because we already know the story of Joseph, what we can't fully understand is that when Joseph was making these decisions, to decide not to become bitter, but work hard for Potiphar, the man who bought him as a slave, to decide to not have an affair with Potiphar's wife, to decide to continue doing good and being trustworthy even in the prison dungeon, to decide to not get revenge on his brothers, 
When Joseph was making each of those decisions, he likely had no idea how his story would end. That Joseph kept making decisions with God's help, and that wrote a better story. Which brings us back to our question today. What story do you want to tell? That like Joseph, like Joseph's brothers, like Potiphar's wife, you are writing the story of your life one decision at a time. Do you want to choose what Joseph's brothers did, lying and, and keeping alive for most of your life? Because long after you gained from that lie, whatever it is that you gained, is it's now gone, you're going to be left with a lie and a story that you won't be proud to tell anyone. Do you want to choose what Potiphar's wife did, uh, using her power and influence to hurt someone with less power and less influence, uh, succumbing to temptation to, to start down a road that will end in someone being hurt? That every relational, financial, professional, and academic decision we make, as well as the outcome of those decision, decisions, becomes a part of our story. So write a good one. Decide on a good story. And if you haven't decided or haven't written a good story up to this point, remember, your current chapter is just a chapter. It's not the whole story. So the decision today is, I will choose the story I'll be proud to tell. I will choose the story that intersects God's story. And your life is a story that is part of God's story, and you have no idea how God might use your story to impact other people. And, but that doesn't always mean it'll work out. But the stories that always work out, they really aren't the best stories anyhow, right? And so when you're faced with a decision, ask yourself, when this decision is nothing more than a story I tell, what story do I want to tell? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your presence. Thank you for Joseph's story and reminding us that you're with us even when things don't go our way. Even when decisions and sort of opportunities that come our way are out of our control. Even when outcomes and results are out of our control. You are still with us. Even if the results don't go the way that we want. But God, would you help us to see our lives and our story as a part of a bigger story? Would you help our decisions, help us to see our individual decisions as a part of the bigger story of our lives and as a part of your story? And would you help us to see with your perspective how to make the best decision that you want us to make, even if it comes at our own expense, even if it doesn't lead to the thing that maybe we want or we think we deserve? God, would you help us to make the decision that would lead to the story that we want to tell, that we want other people to tell, that we want other people to tell, and it would point to you, God, God, if we've made mistakes with our story and we're not proud of certain segments or chapters, would you help us to come to you for forgiveness? Would you help us to go to the people that we might need to go to for forgiveness? But would you also help us to move forward writing the story that you want us to write? That would be one that others could tell, that we would be happy for others to tell, and one that we would be happy for you to be a part of, for us to be a part of your story. Would you please help us? We need your help. It's only with your help that we can do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.